0: Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever noticed that sometimes it's just really difficult to show love to those that we love the most? And really, sometimes it's their own fault for doing it, Uh, mainly because of, sometimes because of their behavior, their attitudes, their, uh, their speech. Sometimes it's just less than loving. If you have little children or have had little children, you know exactly what I'm talking about that when they decide to have an absolute fallout fit in the midst of a store with myriads of eyes watching what's going on, wondering how you're going to deal with it, at that particular moment, it's hard to show love to that child or feel loving towards that child. It doesn't mean that you don't. It just means that their actions are making it more difficult to do. Now, the reason I know that illustration is not because my kids have ever done that, but I've seen your kids do it on many occasions. Well, sometimes it's their fault, but you know what, sometimes it's more our fault. It's, we're, let me say this, it's not so much what they do, but rather it probably has more to do with who we are because we are by nature selfish, self-centered, self-promoting, self-preserving. And, and, if, and if our loved ones don't do exactly what we want them to do, then showing them love is sometimes the very last thing we want to do. And the crazy thing about all this is we know that this is wrong. We know that that's not right. That's not how things are supposed to be. We're not supposed to be be giving conditions on our love for our wife and our kids and our friends. We know that that there can be no long-lasting, healthy, secure relationship if we're constantly telling people, hey, you do this, I'll love you. You do this, I'll no longer love you. It's no way to be able to maintain a relationship. And yet, even though we know that, we still struggle at times with showing love to those who love us and if that's true for them, then how much more true will it be for us to try to show love to those who hate us? But yet, that's precisely what Jesus commands us to do in Luke chapter 6. He commands us to love our enemies. And that is, at least for me, and I think for you, probably the most, one of the most difficult commands found anywhere in Scripture, Old Testament or New it's probably one of the most, most ignored commands in all of the word of God. And yet it's probably one of the most important in the times in which we are living right now. So here's what I wanna do this morning. I just wanna teach the text of scripture, is that okay? Just what God says. And, and so we're, we, two things we need to understand. We need to understand first of all, what does Jesus mean when he commands us to love our enemies? It's so hard, so difficult, seems so strange and foreign. What does he mean by it? And the second thing we need to understand is this is why does Jesus command us to love our enemies? What's the whole purpose behind him telling us to do something that seems to be so unnatural? Well, let's look at the first. What does Jesus mean when he commands us to love our enemies? We pick up actually in verse 27. He says, "But I say to you who hear, love your enemies." I want you to mark that first phrase because it's significant, "But I say to you who hear." Jesus understood, he anticipates in fact that the command to love your enemies is going to be so difficult to accept and so difficult to do that already just when he makes the statement and begins to talk about it that he's going to lose a portion of the crowd. That some people are going to immediately shut him off and not listen to what he has to say. But yet Jesus, knowing that people weren't going to listen, still gives the command. And so the reason for the difficulty is because of who he's telling us to love. He says our enemies. Now, I don't think that he has in particular one particular enemy in mind. I think instead he's just giving us a general statement, maybe a general description even of who our enemies are. They're the ones that hate you, abuse you, strike you, and take from you. It means steal from you. So here's Jesus' command. He's telling you and I to love those that are seeking to harm us in a myriad of ways. That's hard to stomach. But it's even more difficult, not because of who we are to love, but how we are to love. When he tells us and commands us to love, he's not commanding us to feel something. That's important. He's not commanding you and I to feel warm fuzzies for a person who is making our life miserable. That's impossible to do. Love, much like faith, is not evidence primarily in what you feel, but rather in what we do. So the command is for you and I, for believers in Jesus Christ, to show our love to our enemies. Now he could have just left it there, right? And that's what Jesus does in other commands and other commands in the Bible. They give us a command and then you're like, Okay, great. Like honor your father and mother. Fantastic. Can you unpack that a little bit? No, you have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, all right? So we have to take the rest of our life and as parents, even raise up a child in a way he should go. Okay, let's do that. How do we do it? Mm, you gotta figure it out. Uh, uh. And so we're figuring it out until the kid leaves and then we try to finally figure it out, right? Now there's no proof that we figured it out because there's no more kids in the house, but you get what I'm saying, But Jesus, this command is so important, so hard, so confusing to so many, that he actually makes sure that he's going to walk us through it, that he's going to explain exactly what he means when he commands us to love our enemies. And he says, when we love it, we have to show them. How do we show it? Three ways. Number one, through our action, do good to those who hate you. In other words, the people that hate your guts in the office, maybe even at home right now, actually do acts of kindness for them, do things for them out of love. And it's not just our actions, but it's also to love through our speech. He says, bless those who curse you. This is difficult. Somebody cursing you to your face, talking to you behind your back, he says, don't do the same. What you need to be doing instead is you need to be blessing them, speaking well of them, speaking kind words and gracious words and gentle words to them. And then finally, we need to love them by praying for them. Pray for those who abuse you. Think about that. Pray for those who abuse you, which in essence he's saying, he's saying, hey, listen, uh, when you're in your private, this isn't what we do out loud. If somebody's offending me, it'd be a little awkward if I started praying for you in front of the whole congregation this morning. I pray for Ryan and he didn't treat me well this week. And so that that would be awkward for all of us. Instead, this is something that we do in private, but when we pray for them, what do we pray? We pray for their forgiveness. We pray for their salvation, if that need to be. We pray for their well-being in the midst of this. This is what Jesus is calling and commanding us to do, to to love by showing our love to those who would want to destroy us or harm us in some kind of way by showing it through our actions, our speech, and our hearts. Now listen, if we did not lose you when we first, in the first part, when we said love your enemies, which we lost some people because you're here because you're frustrated with your enemies. You're just looking for some kind of comfort, some kind of help. So when I said love your enemies, you're like, eh, this isn't what I want to hear. Cut you off. Then when we got to the next step and we begin to say, hey, not just love them, This is how you love them. Now we're down to 50% of the population. And so let's see if we can lose another 25%. And I think we will when we read what he says next. He says, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Now I want to be careful with how we explain this because I think that it has been misinterpreted, misunderstood, wrongly taught and wrongly applied at the detriment of many people. He's not saying, let's be very clear, if, if there is, are there ladies here, children here, or anybody else who are in a relationship where they are being physically abused, the command is for you, not you, to endure it. You should use every aspect of the law and your defense to be protected on that and not remain in that particular situation. Are we clear on that? He's not what he's saying here. And I've actually heard pastors and people come to our church where they sat there and said, no, the the Bible says this, you need to turn the other cheek and endure more abuse. No, it's not what's going on. And the reason is for several things, that's not consistent with the heart of God, but it's also not consistent with the text and the context that we've been studying. It's not, it's not consistent with the context. Remember last week, and I know you remember because you remember all of the sermons that I preach, but let me remind you anyway from last week when we were preaching, what was the whole point? Jesus said, this is what your life is going to be like if you follow after me. If you follow after me, you are gonna be persecuted. It is gonna go bad. It is gonna be hard. People are gonna do some really rotten things to you. That's what he said. So now following up, he's showing us the, the next step of that What he's telling us is he's saying, hey, listen, when that happens, I don't want you fighting back. I want you to endure it, that particular persecution. It's not only clear from the text, but it's also clear from from really the cultural context as well. Uh, look, I, I don't imagine that everything correlates to that first century to today, but fighting, I imagine, is one of those that is probably pretty much the same. I doubt if it's changed in 2,000 years. I mean, if you see somebody fighting today and two men are fighting, you're like, bro, they were really going at it. You expect them to be using their fists. You're not expecting two grown men to have a slap fight, right? They're not doing that. And so what, what we find is when he's talking about fighting, slapping is not so much physical violence, as he's talking about what? The insults. The insults that people are giving to you. Now, let me say this this can mean also an aspect of physical suffering. And it happens all around the world. We're just not very accustomed to it. That there are believers in Jesus Christ who literally are not striking back after being struck for no reason other than them being a follower of Jesus Christ. So it can mean that and include that. But in general, he's saying that we will endure persecution time time and time and time and time again. That is the call and the command of God on our life. Jesus then follows this up and he says, And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you and from the one who takes from away from your goods, do not demand from it. So on one side he's saying, hey, don't retaliate, but here's what you need to do instead. You need to be graciously giving. Graciously giving. This is where it really begins to get hard. And we're probably down to maybe five or ten percent who are still listening and still curious at all, because you're like, You gotta be kidding me. We actually actually give and do good. Yeah, that's what he's saying. Some of the commentators, is, it was a little bit complexing for me because what they were saying is, hey, if, about somebody stealing your cloak or your coat to then giving the tunic or your shirt, in essence, what they were saying is, hey, this is just somebody who really wants to be gracious and give a lot and just talking about, you know, if you see somebody in need, give them a coat, but give even more. Give, give your shirt as well. That doesn't seem to be the context, Right? It seems to be that you are they're giving to the person, not giving, but that something's being taken away from you. In fact, Matthew's account actually says when somebody sues you, it's not something we care to have, right? Somebody sues you, you go over and bud in love and you give them more than what it is that you were even ultimately asking. So I think if you've ever seen the, the play Les Miserables, anybody here, the, the play or the movie? All right, we have three, so this is gonna go over well. And so, um, so... Um, you need to stop watching Netflix and you need to watch something else every once in a while. All right. so, so anyway, in, in Les Miserables, the story is about a man named Jean Valjean and he was placed in prison and spent 19 years for stealing some bread to give to his his sister's kids, all right? For them to be able to eat. And he served 19 years for it. Well, actually five years for what he did. The rest, because he tried to run. Yes, T4601, sorry. That's part of the musical. Thank you very much. You got that? And so, so, wrong context to use this illustration. Clearly... So, so what happens is, is that he serves all this time. Well, he runs. The only person that shows him any kindness, brings him into his home, is actually this priest. Brings him in and he feeds him and he gives him a place to stay the night. And then he runs off. Well, in the middle of the night, he ends up stealing a bunch of the silver of the priest and he's caught and he's brought back. They're like, look, you were in prison. You can't afford this. Who'd you steal it from? Where'd you stay last night? He ends up going back to the priest. And he goes, hey, we caught this man and, and, and now we're ready to take him back to prison. And the priest barely says, oh no, my friends, I gave that to him. I gave that to him. He said, but you were in such a hurry, you left the best behind. And he goes, here are the silver candlesticks as well. And he says, but you must use it to do good and to be a better man. I think that that's the spirit here, is that when people are doing something that is awful and terrible and hurtful and painful, we are to respond by being gracious to that extent. And so, this is uh, what I think is in in his mind. Now, look at verse 31, understanding that he can't possibly give specific application. Of course, he's God. He could, but it would take a long time. Give application to every person's individual situation. That's what's hard for me to do as well. That he wants to give one simple principle that will just wrap it all up. And he says in verse 31, "And and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. You've heard it like this, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is what we know as the golden rule, yes? And this was radical during the time of Christ. They did have what's known as the silver rule. Uh, earlier on, actually several hundred years before Jesus, Confucius actually said, don't do unto others that what you do not want them to do to you. So it's very similar, but it's in a negative sense rather than a positive sense. In other words, if you don't want to be slapped, don't slap somebody. You don't want to, you want your stuff stolen? Then don't steal from somebody. You don't want to be sued? Then don't sue somebody. That's kind of what it is. It's in the negative. It's kind of like an inactivity is what it's calling for. Just don't do something. Be restrained in that. Jesus comes on the scene and he blows this whole thing up and he says, it's not about you being inactive. It's about you being active. It's actually you doing unto others as you want them to be able to treat you and to be able to give to you. So 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 instead of they've heard he says that he understands he's talking to a group of people who 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 return evil for evil that's that's their whole thing instead he's saying return give good for evil instead that's how that's what you're supposed to be doing not evil for evil have you ever noticed today how much talk is about hate i hate hearing about hate all the time don't you it's like hate all the time. It's like, you know, people, you know, don't be a hater. Stop the hate. Don't use hate speech. Don't do this. You're, you're just in, in, in all of this. And, and it's right. Hatred is, a, is terrible. It's, it's awful. It's, it's in opposition to the heart of who God ultimately is and the way that they're using it. We understand all of that. But have you noticed the way that they've tried to confront hate? How do they combat hate? With Hate. I can't stand what people are hateful. You shouldn't be hateful. You will be silenced, you will be condemned, you will be, you'll be no longer remembered. And so this is how the world does it. Well, Jesus comes on the scene, and that's usually how the world deals with things. Jesus comes on the scene, puts everything upside down. And he says to them, he says, It's not evil for evil anymore. You return good for evil is what he says. He says, you're not to be like the rest of the world. You are to now be giving and graciously giving to those who are ultimately around you. And then he goes on, he says, but, and if you notice this, he says, if you're really hearing what I'm saying, you understand that this is difficult, right? It's even harder to apply would you agree? It's harder to understand. It's even more difficult to apply. And here's why. Some of what is being said here seems to almost be contradictory to some other teachings that Christ himself gives and what we find in the word of God. You know, for example, this idea and what he's telling us is, hey, listen, you need to love. You need to love by showing and generous by giving in your actions and your speech and every other area of your life. This is what you need to be able to do. That's how you show love. And then we're sitting there going, well, wait a minute. Is giving to people what they want always loving? Think about that for a minute. Somebody could want something of you. Say they come to you and they say, hey, give me money. The Bible says, give to all who ask. What are you gonna do with it? Well, there's some drugs I like to be able to go by. I've been hooked on it for about 10 years. It's destroyed everything, my life and the life of those that I love. So I just need a little bit more destruction. Can you give it to me? Is it unloving at that point to be able to say no? There's other times I think as well for this idea of being no. You you think of, you, you think of, uh, say, say for a moment, you go home today, and this would be an awful thing, but you go home and there's a moving truck out in front of your house. And there's a group of men moving all your furniture out. And you're like, hmm, I'm not moving. These are thieves. Do you sit there and go, boys, let me help you? Or right, you get down and start to be able to load up all your stuff to be able to go out. Is that specifically what he's talking about here? Well, here's a problem. You might be gracious and try to decide to do this, but because you're letting them go and not be confronted with justice at that point, they may very well rob, rob one of your neighbor's house. And God at the same time commands us to be able to love our neighbors. So how in the world do we reconcile the two of these things? There are other, there are other examples, of course, and that is to be able to give to somebody. What if the person is, is not because they're unable to work, but they're just not willing to work? And yet the Bible tells us that if you don't work, you don't eat. How in the world do you end up just giving to somebody without them becoming dependent? That's not what God wants them to be able to do. He wants to be able to use their own ability to be able to work. Uh, work was given to us and created by God in the very beginning. We read about it in the creation account. So we understand. So, so what do you do? Is it, always, is it always unloving to know? Let me give you an example by John Piper, and he's always more graphic than I am. And, and he says, what if you have a babysitter and that babysitter sexually Um, sexually attacks, um, and commits sin against your child. If they come to you and they ask you for forgiveness, do you you grant it? Here's the answer. Yes, we do grant it. But then simultaneously ask, can I have my job back? The answer is no. Why? Because you've got to be able to use wisdom in the midst of this, not always giving. That would neither be good for him, nor your children, nor anybody else. So it's not always that love love and giving in that way is always the most loving thing, but you have to understand what Jesus is doing. He's just giving us one principle, one illustration of what it means to love other people. And what that means is to be generous givers, generous giving in our speech and our actions and even of our money to those who hate us and want to ultimately to destroy us. He's trying to lay all of this out so that we understand it clearly. And so sometimes it's going to be a yes, sometimes it's a no. But here's what I would say. For some of you, no comes too quickly and too naturally. For some of us, you're sitting there going, that's right, that's why I don't give. Because everybody, I'm going to give, they're going to use it for the wrong thing. Here's Jesus' point. Your not giving should not be your default setting. Giving should be. We have a kind of a comment, and don't, don't use this against us, but one thing that I say to the staff is, The answer when people come and make a request, this is going to burn me. I know it is. But when people make a request and they're asking for something reasonable, the answer is always yes, unless it absolutely has to be no. And he says that's how you should be treating those who hate you. The answer should always be yes. It should always be about being generous. It should always be about giving, unless it absolutely has to be no, so this is extremely complicated, yet this at the same time is what God has called us to do. So the question then is, is why? Why has God commanded us to do such a thing? Let me give you two reasons and we'll close out with this. Number one, it illustrates what God is like. It illustrates to us what God is like. Look at verse 32. If, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do that same thing. He says, and if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Here's what I think Jesus is doing. He's correcting people in the way that they're thinking as they're hearing the sermon. As they're hearing this sermon, they're already in their mind going, look, I may not love my enemies, but that doesn't mean I'm not a loving person. I love my wife, and I love my mom, and I love my husband for someone else, or, you know, I love my children. Hey, and I even help people. I'll loan money just to make sure they swear that they're going to pay every bit of it back. And he sits there and he says, hey, guys, this is no big deal. In fact, this is exactly how the world lives. This is how they love And remember, there is a selfish element about loving your children and your wife and your friends. You get something out of it. It brings you joy. You love how they love you back. There is an essence of self and self-centeredness in the midst of it. But what he comes back to say is, he says, but Jesus is, is saying, I'm not calling you to love like the world. I'm calling you to love like God, the Father. See, when, when I go to funerals, I've been to way too many in my lifetime. You go to a funeral, sometimes you can't tell the difference between a believer's funeral and an unbeliever's funeral. You know what they'll do? They'll say almost the same thing. He was a great husband. He loved his wife. He loved his kids. They called him daddy. They called him Abba. He was such a good dad. He did so many things. He, he, he didn't meet a stranger. He did all these kind of, and it all sounds all good, and all that should be the way that it should be, but Jesus is going, but he proves nothing. What should be said at that man's funeral, that believer's funeral is, and he loved enemies who despised him. That would be a testimony of a believer. And so we find, he says, I don't need you to love, and I'm not commanding you to love like man. I'm commanding you to love like God. God loves and treats well and gives good things, not only to those who do good, but those who do very, very evil things as well. We read in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, for he makes the sun to rise on the, e- on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. You get it. People who hate God, who, who deny his presence, deny his existence. God gives them life and breath, allows them to get married, allows them to have kids, allows them to be able to have wonderful things in life and blessings of life, and they're enemies of God. We read this again in Matthew chapter 1, 103, verse 10. And he does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. Same command that Jesus gave to us. Don't, don't retaliate. Don't go after. Don't give them and treat them in the same way, but rather treat them with good. And, and I love this. One author writes this. He says, one author wrote, He says, but God has shown his love supremely and ultimately. In sending his son to die for the very sins who hated him and rebelled against him. Salvation comes from an enemy loving heart of God who reconciles sinners. Yes, sinners to himself. The Bible says, Romans chapter five, verse 10, while we were sinners, we were reconciled to God by the death of the son. So God in his creation has been good to those who were evil, Jesus Christ, his son, has been good to those who are evil. We read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he, was, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You know what this means? Here's a way that we can share the gospel. Here's a truth you might not be aware of or thought of for a while. Jesus never died for a friend, He never died for a friend. He gave his life for enemies because friends are in no need of being saved. And so when we look at all this, we see that Jesus, Jesus loved his enemies in the same way that he commanded us, follow this, he showed it how through his actions by giving his life, with his speech, how by giving us the words of eternal life and with his prayer, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He lived out the very command that he's commanding you and I to do. So, number one, it illustrates what God is like. Number two, it gives evidence to our salvation. Look at verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend. He's summing everything up again, everything that he said, expecting nothing in return, and our reward will be great. What will our reward be? He says, of course, it's God ultimately. And he says, and you will be the sons of the most high. Do this and you will be the sons of God. Do this and you will be saved. Now we understand, we know the Bible well enough. This is not works-based salvation. Are we all agreed? He can't possibly be saying that because that would be inconsistent from Genesis to Revelation, the whole story, the redemptive plan of God. So we know he can't be saying, hey, if you were just loving enough to your enemies, you're gonna be able to get into heaven based on what you did and how you loved. No, another way to say it, better way to say it is, if you love your enemies the way that I tell you, you will have absolute, complete confidence that you are a child of God. Why? Because you cannot give out what you have not been given. And when you and I got saved, what should have happened, there should have been some real serious conviction in your heart, in my heart, that we were enemies of God and that we have violated his law and we are deserving of death and we are deserving of his judgment. And yet in his grace, he reached out to us. And he bestowed and he gave us what we did not deserve. It was grace upon grace upon grace. And what we did at that particular point, because we have received it, we now can give it. Freely you have received, now freely what? Freely give. And so it's evidence. If you can give it, it means that you have received it. There's another thing here. And I think that it's significant for us to understand the reason why you don't have to get you don't have to strike out. You don't have to fight back. You don't have to stand up in, in so many of those other ways. You don't have to revile. You don't have to retaliate. Is, here's why. It's because you are satisfied with what you already have. Because you know you have God and he is your precious reward, it's okay if somebody takes away a material thing. It's okay if somebody strikes a blow to my reputation. It's okay if they get the last word, why? I only respond when I'm not satisfied. But when I'm satisfied with Christ, I can extend grace and I can extend mercy in those ways. Now, one of the problems that we have, and this is, this is really relevant to the world in which we're living right now. One of the problems that we have is thinking they're gonna get away from it, with, with it. They've mistreated me. They've, they've, they've said things about me. And it's wrong. And guess what? It's wrong. and it's wicked and it's evil. And you're like, "But it's not right. If I don't speak up, how in the world are they said something mean? They, they, they need to be punished for what they're doing. God knows what they've done, And there is no one who ever, in the history of all of humanity, who ever gets away with anything, with anything. Even believers in Christ didn't get away with their sin. When God saved you, he didn't go, okay, no, no problem. You said you're sorry. That's good enough for me. No. You know what he did? He allowed that sin and the punishment of that sin to rain down on his son on the cross. We did not get away from it. We were survived because we had a substitute who came and took our place, but our sin was placed on him. Our punishment was placed on him. Are you getting this? Nobody gets away. So here's what we entrust him. God says, do not take vengeance. Don't seek after vengeance. Here's what you can do. He says, justice. He goes, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Let him take care of it. We're hearing so much about justice today. So much about justice. We want justice and we want justice in this. And, and let me say something about that. God wants justice. Justice is good. Justice is right. We as believers in Jesus Christ should not let some political milieu that we live in for us to not stand up and go, we desire justice because our God is a God of justice. Amen? Amen? But here's the problem. We make terrible judges. Terrible. We don't know the hearts of man, only God does. We completely embellish things that aren't ever right. We we are too harsh when we should be much simpler. We are too simple and easy when we should be much harsher. God says, let me be the one who enacts judgment and vengeance. When you are satisfied in him, when you were able to live this way, it's all evidence that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Let me just sum this up. And I, don't, I haven't written anything down for this, but let me just tell you kind of what's been on my heart for a moment in light of studying this this week. There are a lot of people who are very upset and very concerned and even fearful about what's happening in the nation. They are. They're like, man, I used to watch it. I can't even turn it on. I can't even watch it. I mean, it just... The whole, the whole country seems to be burning at this particular point. What, 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 what do we do? And, and here's what I would suggest is, I think you should be burdened because what we're seeing is we're seeing sin on display. We're seeing rebellion in display. Oh, listen, please hear me. I'm not suggesting that people don't have a right to be righteously angry, okay? Do you hear that? But the Bible says to be angry, yet sin what? Not. Sin not. The problem for me is that many believers are angry and rightfully so, and if you're not upset about how you're seeing sin manifest itself, it's already been there, but the way that it's manifesting so if that doesn't concern you and even make you angry from a righteous side, saying that that's rebellion against God, then you probably either don't know what's going on or you probably don't understand what God is about. Okay? So here's what I would say with that. I would say but sin not. And I'm afraid that's what so many of God's people are doing. They're angry and they're outraged, but their attitudes are angry embittered. They're spiteful in their objections. They're not, look, they're not just, we need to state what is true, amen? But it must be in love, not in anger. I've never known an embitterer, angry believer to lead anybody to faith in Jesus Christ. Look, God has called us to be the salt and the light of the world. Would you agree with that? And that's a good thing. Salt seasons. I eat way too much of it. All right? We're like, what is it? My wife's like, hey, I already salted it. Tough. (laughs) So salt, light, light is good. What does it do? It illumines. But there's another side to salt and light. Salt also stings so also exposes. And you and I, if we're living the Christian life, our life is going to have that impact on other people and it is going to be an irritant. If you are living for the truth of God's word, if you are teaching and sharing that as well to other people and holding on the truths that God has given us, you are going to be an irritant to a lost world. If you are not, then you probably are not saying much. You probably are not a clear witness of God. He didn't, he didn't, look, he didn't say, he didn't suggest and say, hey, there's a possibility that you may be persecuted. He said, you will be persecuted. You will for me. And as we see that happening and that possibility of happening even greater and greater and greater, how are the believers of Jesus Christ to support, to, to respond? Truth in love. Instead of going home and being so angry this week, so ticked off this week, so ready to be able to go ahead and air your feelings on Twitter and Facebook and just let everybody know what it is. And again, we can, there's a way to be able to reveal truth, be stern with truth, unbending with truth, but yet not be an irritant to everybody who's around you. The people that are ticking you off in your life right now, listen, here's what, here's what you're saying. You say, well, who does this apply to? I want you to think of the most obnoxious person who's causing you the greatest pain in your life and that's who God is calling you to love. In this way. So what I want for believers, and I want it to start here, isn't it interesting that he says at the very end of this, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Mercy is in the very name of this church, Mercy Hill. We could be the most upholding truth people in the entire world. I don't even think that's a thing, but do you understand what I mean? but at the same time, be the most merciful simultaneously. I'm gonna ask you to love those that are irritating you. I'm gonna ask you to show that love. I'm gonna ask you to use words of love. I'm gonna ask you to get on your knees and pray for those who would consider themselves your enemies or you consider them your enemies. Why? Because it's what Christ has called us to. And if you think that we are going to win a world, or you're going to see change by dealing with hate, with more hate? You don't have a clue. Christ says the only way to be able to make a difference is to return evil with love. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you, God, for this morning, and I pray that some sense is being able to make out of what I just said. Not because they're my words, but those that are your words, God. I pray that that you would use them and drive it into us. God, this could be a radical change in us right here, not going around embittered, angry people all the time, but to be broken, to be concerned, even to be righteously angry, but at the same exact time to show a lost and dying world what being loved by you is like. They don't see it anywhere else. The only place they could see it is through us, living it out and extending it to them. God, let us be faithful. Thank you, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand. As always, let me say this. This is what we call an invitation, a time of reflection. It's a time where I'm gonna come down here and if you're sitting there going, hey, I need to know more.